Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Amanda Hall, co-founder and CEO of Summit Nanotech. Amanda is a professional geophysicist with 11 years of experience in the oil and gas industry, four years in the mining industry, and four years as a laboratory scientist. Amanda is passionate about growing a human-centric company employing innovative, resourceful people who feel responsible for rapidly creating the change that is needed in our industrial landscape using wisdom, technology, and adaptive solutions. Let's join Amanda now as she interviews Stephen Vaveda. The mic is yours, Amanda. Hello, Rainforest Podcast followers. I'm Amanda Hall, CEO of Summit Nanotech Corporation, and I'm here today interviewing my very good friend, Steve Viveda from Scout Engineering and Consulting in Calgary, Alberta. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Amanda. Steve, you are the perfect person to be spotlighted on a podcast titled Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas. Although for you, I might change the title to Responsible Leaders, Thoughtful Innovators, and Transcendent Ideas. I have admired your courage, drive, and meaning-making in the business world for many years, and I am honored to be able to draw some of that story out of you for our listeners today. I want to start by asking you to give us a little bit of background on your orienting story and lead us up to the point when you started your own company. Uh, yeah, it's a very nice introduction. Um, my orienting story is, I think it's um, a lot to do with my uh my mom my upbringing um you know my dad his career so you know a little bit more about that my um my childhood we started growing up in edmonton my mom uh, is from the blood tribe and she decided to move away when uh, she was uh, 18 from her community uh just there was an opportunity and she just knew that she didn't want to um, raise her children on the reserve uh, down on the blood tribe so she moved to Edmonton and uh, that's where she met my dad and uh, we spent the first 15 years of my life up in Edmonton with my dad as an engineer at uh, Indigenous um, Services which is at the time Indian Northern Affairs so he was an engineer working with the communities to uh, work on their infrastructure issues so he was uh, instrumental on um, uh, replacing a lot of the outdated infrastructure, whatever influence he, he could have, he made sure that he, um, had a positive impact in those communities and that he was, um, you know, doing good work, doing the things that uh, needed to be done in those communities. And, um, you know, that I think, uh, gave me a really, um, good impression. And I held the, the, um, profession of engineer, in high regard because of that. And um, so, you know, I had some great role models. Like I said, my mother uh, being very uh, proactive and responsible, um, making good decisions. And then my dad uh, with his uh, level of care and just seeing that, um, you know, success is not measured necessarily in uh, the income you make. It's the impact in the communities and the respect he had 
uh, from those communities. Um, you know, that was an obvious thing. So I think I get a lot of, um, a lot of my, um, kind of thoughtfulness from that. Uh, and then of course there's challenges, um, along the way and the persistence that, um, you know, my mother has shown as uh, a big influence on me as well. And then, uh, you know, a lot of life experience has really contributed to, um, I think, you know, some of the, uh, compliments you're giving to me, <laughs> I'd say I'm just a fortunate, um, recipient of a lot of really, um, essential life experience. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever go with your dad to work sites and, and hang out? I did. Yes. Yeah. He would take me, um, out to some of the sites, some of the, some of the communities. Um, you know, I remember distinctly one time he took me to a school that had had a, a fire and, uh, the whole gymnasium was full of water, about six inches of water. And, uh, and, and, you know, we're kind of stomping around the school and you just see it's an empty shell without people. Right. And, um, you know, he's in there trying to, uh, help get them back on their feet. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was, um, very, uh, influential to, to be around him and to be a part of that work. Wow. That's amazing. I love when a memory like that can, uh, seed into the story of how you become who you are today. That's really cool. So what about your education? Yeah. Um, you know, I went to school in Edmonton and then finished high school in high river. Uh, it was a very, you know, accepting place. I love high river. My parents still live there. And then uh, I didn't go too far. I went to the University of Calgary for uh, engineering. And uh, yeah, it was a wonderful experience there as well. I ended up joining a fraternity, um, having some wonderful um, uh, opportunities to expand my own uh, learnings outside of engineering as well. You don't strike me as a frat boy type at all. (laughs) But, you know, the movies can over uh, over overemphasize certain certain things. I'll say it's a a great group of gentlemen that uh, I was proud to be a part of, still am a part of. And, um, you know, my uh, the the best men in my wedding uh, were um, uh, members of the fraternity. Fantastic. Yeah. So I still see um, several of them to this day, 15 years later. Um, and, and so it's, it's been a pleasure to be a part of that organization and to meet, uh, people, you know, I think that's where I started to see, uh, the need to be around people who have, um, high goals in their life and expect a lot out of themselves. And, um, I, I had some of my first role models as a, as an adult in that organization. So amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. So you see, yeah, UC in engineering. Did you uh, do any internships while you were there? I did. I did work part time. I didn't have any formal internships, but I did have the chance to work at uh, one of the major oil and gas companies, um, as well as uh, a couple other placements uh, in the summer. Um, but I was very fortunate. I had one company take me on and keep me on uh, throughout the school year. Um, I just was in a situation where I wasn't taking too many courses, and it helped to fill out my time and uh, again being around uh, people with high goals and um, you know people who are role models it was again influential so uh, no internships but yeah okay yeah those summer jobs fantastic and 
did anything from those summer jobs point you in the direction you wanted to go to once you graduated? I think I learned that, um, you know, from those jobs, from the experience I had, uh, you know, and, and I'll say this, the last, the last job I had before I graduated was as a uh, summer student at a geotechnical firm. And so I was doing, um, soil testing. Uh, I was doing, uh, some hydraulic tests for, um, some land development. Uh, so I had a different, I had a different flavor of engineering as opposed to being in an office and, uh, looking at well logs and production logs. And, um, you know, I think a lot of what, uh, people in Calgary would know as oil and gas, yeah, petroleum uh, engineering, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, that experience, uh, definitely helped me to, um, yeah, I think form a, a good idea of what engineering is. Um, does that answer the question? Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So your first job out of school, first job out of school was with uh, a wonderful company, uh, MPE engineering. They're still around. They uh, brought me on as a municipal engineer and uh, it was a wonderful experience. I, I really enjoyed that company and uh, I still have fond memories of that. It was a short stay though. Um, I, I quickly transitioned out of that uh, job uh, within the first year to try environmental engineering, which was a theme for me throughout my education to, um, you know, I took a civil engineering degree with a minor in environmental because I wanted to try this out to try environmental engineering and it was just something that was a passion of mine. Um, so I did that for a year as well and that was a, a great learning experience too. Mm. But that first job uh, with MPE um, really helped me to understand, you know, as a consultant, as a professional, what, what does it look like? Uh, I worked with uh, a wonderful gentleman, uh, Ron Kitagawa. Uh, who showed me the ropes and uh, really broke me in, mm -hmm. I would say, to, to represent um, someone who is a professional and, and that level of effort and the level of um, personal development required to do that work. So, yeah, it was, it was a, a short but um, worthwhile uh, stay there. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And you and I met in a leadership program, Leadership Calgary. Gosh, how long ago was that? Yeah, I think we're going back to, uh, I want to say 2013. Yeah. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. So the years are getting between here and there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you were definitely drawn in the direction of leadership from an early stage in your career. Um, so what did that, how did you transition from being an employee and a consultant into being drawn toward leadership and then starting your own company? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would say at that time I had, I was coming out of a job, um, it, you know, not MPE and not environmental engineering. I had gone back to municipal engineering and, uh, it was a, a tough time in the market and I was just having a lot of, um, issues with my work and my personal values and alignment and, and, um, and so, you know, when we met, I was in the middle of this and, uh, the uh, training that we went through, the leadership training was uh, really informative. It brought a lot of um, personal experience into focus. It helped me understand where a lot of my frustration was coming from with my work and uh, where my own personal story and my personal values were 
um, starting to crystallize uh, into, I would say, you know, your um, fully formed self. You know, I think it, it, some people are gifted with uh, purpose um, and they, they know what they need to do. I'm, I've had to kind of explore that and figure that out and, and play around with that. And so, uh, coming into that uh, training, I was, I'd say looking for, uh, something, looking for a bit of, uh, guidance on what, uh, I needed to do, or at least to, to try and sort out, you know, what was going on with my frustrations. So, mm-hmm. um, that leadership training, uh, you know, just for everybody's information is, uh, called the human venture Institute. Uh, it's formerly leadership Calgary. And it was a yeah year long course looking at, I, I call it human development mm-hmm. and our own uh, internal wiring as humans. And, uh, it was, it was hugely influential. And so coming out of that, a year long, uh, leadership training, uh, very focused, uh, lots of, um, resource development, um, you know, trying to learn what to pick up from uh, the stories of the past and uh, what what to to listen to from uh, the leaders of today. Uh, it really helped me to, um, I think, give me confidence to go out and try something um, which, you know, if you've never started a business, it's hugely challenging, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the least. And um, I think it just going into that leadership training, I, I, I would not have been able to run the business or do what I'm doing now. Coming out of it, it absolutely makes total sense. Seems like something I should have been doing years ago. But, um, you know, helping understand yourself, helping understand how other people uh, make meaning of the world and, and how we're trying to, um, you know, push ourselves and strive was uh was was absolutely massive to me so i i would say it was a a real turning point for me excellent yeah yeah i I would totally agree with you in that class i felt as though it deconstructed everything i thought i knew and then reconstructed it in a way that made a whole lot more sense in my head from a global perspective as well as a personal perspective and and again gave me the courage to start my own company someday but that was a few years after you started yours so um, what, what you have a wife and kids, what did they think of this idea to step out of a, a very stable position in a company downtown Calgary and start your own business? Yeah. Um, my wife's a wonderful lady. She, um, is, uh, my biggest supporter, my best friend. And so I would say she, um, <laughs> she's, she's told me that I should be, I should have given her a bit more warning. <laughs> I think, you know, the extent of, of her kind of, um, uh, initial, um, we'll call it the go decision. Uh, her role in that may have been a little bit too small, <laughs> but, um, you know, leading up to leading up to the point of just stepping out and saying, I'm going to start a business. Uh, I'd been talking about it for years. She she'd always kind of stoked that fire and said, "Okay, yeah, I think that's something that you should do." She could just see that I had always bristled at taking orders from other people and when they weren't in alignment with with who I was and um, my uh, I would say my naive my naivete about how business works. 
<laughs> at the time, you know. I'm smiling huge. Yeah. <laughs> I have that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was very naive, I would say, previously, uh, before I started my business, about how, um, you know, how you make decisions in a business. And I'll say this now, I sympathize with all my bosses <laughs> that I ever had. <laughs> and I wish I had the, the wisdom that I, I do now uh, of what it takes to, to run a business because I would have probably been easier on those those folks, mm. um, but my my wife uh, has been uh, an amazing supporter. Uh, you know, she's uh, just a wonderful person that has always believed in me, and I would say she's given me uh, the confidence to even think about it. I would say, when you have somebody that's uh, with you, behind you, um, is always going to be there for you. It gives you a lot of reassurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my children, uh, they're relatively young. I mean, at at the time I started, we're we're talking, you know, four and six. And, you know, for them, it was just cool to say, my dad's a boss or my dad, (laughs) my dad owns a company, you know. Um, But now it's turning into a, I think, an understanding of what it means. It's, um, you know, they can they can feel the stress when times are bad, but, you know, they can feel the joy when things are going well. And. I think, you know, it's important that they, um, you know, you start, the, I think you just start the business sometimes because you just think it's the kind of thing that you want to um, uh, pass down to your children, this kind of uh, courage and conviction to do what you need to do in your life. Are you seeing in yourself bits of your father as you parent your own kids Absolutely. and your mom? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely both. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'd say uh, with uh, my mother, you know, her persistence and her wisdom have been um, always something in the back of my mind. And uh, her, um, I'd say, yeah, just her um, conviction and and, and, um, going through any of the struggles she did, she just persisted. It was it was hugely influential, still is. Uh, You know, my mother has had some medical conditions and still, you know, is there, wow. uh, still available to, you know, help me out, which is amazing. I don't, you know, I, I, I only hope to give back uh, as much as I've, half of what I've gotten from her. Uh, and with my dad, he, you know, he actually works with us, uh, with, really? yeah, yeah. He's a, a sub consultant, uh, to us that, you know, I'm extremely lucky. I can't, you can't even begin to say how lucky I am that, I get to work with my dad. Amazing. Yeah. And and I get to, you know, get him in the truck, drive out to these nations that we work with, yeah. these First Nations. And, um, you know, the, that time is, I think, some of the best time I've ever had with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my dad is, has been hugely influential. Uh, he's, you know, I'm very fortunate to get out and work with him today. It's been a joy to have him on as a sub-consultant at my company and I uh, just enjoy every moment I'm with him. It's it's such a reward to, um, at this point in my life, spend as much time with him as I am um, and still learning from him. And in, and I see my, I see him and me in the way that I approach building relationships with uh, the indigenous communities and the care that we're putting into those uh, relationships, those projects, um, how we're treating those um, uh, clients. 
uh, definitely see him in me. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. What a treat it would be. So scout engineering and consulting. Now I know you put a lot of thought into the why behind this company and most people would call it a value proposition, but it definitely came straight from your heart. So can you explain that to everyone? Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, I'll, I'll say this, I owe everything to people who've given me opportunity. Um, I think I'm very fortunate to have the perspective to say, um, you know, we only have what we have because others give it to us. Um, so the, uh, genesis of the company really is, um, seeing, uh, this kind of trend of, uh, engineering or let's call it projects that, uh, fly over the indigenous communities. And in my time as a consultant, I had seen, um, you know, our work and our effort, uh, kind of be, uh, let's say, uh, handicapped by various systems. Mm. And, uh, one of those things was, uh, this, I'd say misunderstanding about indigenous communities, uh, a real need to understand what, what needs to happen in the communities. And so I always saw a mismatch between what the work is that we were doing as engineers and consultants and, and call it community engagement and consultation. Uh, there was a mismatch there between what, uh, we thought we should be doing and what needed to get done. Right. And, and so time came where I saw an opportunity, um, and it was actually a, a colleague of mine who finally just pulled me aside and said, you know, Steve, you've got to do this. You're the, you're the only person uh, with, you know, this uh, informed approach to uh, engineering right. and these communities need that. <coughs> and so I kind of got pushed. Hmm. I was, I was at the edge. I was at the, you know, ready to take the leap. Um, but finally somebody just pushed me and said, no, now's the time. And uh, that why was not for, you know, to, to make a profit or to, um, and certainly there were projects, there were opportunities there, but it was, you know, that, um, the reason to start the company was to uh, do what needed to be done, the work that, um, needed to happen to help these, uh, indigenous communities, uh, uh, move ahead, move out of poverty, move out of dysfunction. And uh, part of that is just giving them uh, the right um, inf information to make a decision. Right. It's that simple. It's right. just giving them information that they didn't have before. Uh, bringing this uh, engineering perspective to leadership that they, quite honestly, no one, no one had, had given them this uh, perspective before. So um, the, the why of the company really is getting at that um, doing the work that needs to be done, doing the work that matters. And, and, you know, I'll elaborate on that briefly. Um, you know, starting a company, it really, I think for me, it's been hugely important to have a strong why mm -hmm. to have a strong purpose because it, it's helped, um, set us up for success time and time again. You know, when we get away from that, we're, we're not doing very well. I'll be honest. It's, um, and so it, it's kind of always a, uh, call it the North star, our, our guiding, um, kind of direction, uh, to, to again, uh, do the work that matters 
try to improve outcomes in indigenous communities. So instead of focusing on technical uh, problems as engineers, that we focus on the whole system. Right. Um, that we try to approach uh, our uh, works thoughtfully and uh, try to keep in mind that there's uh, people at the beginning and at the end of the project. And they're going to be the ones that we, if we listen to, will be successful. If we uh, work to their um, benefit, the at, when we leave, there'll be a legacy there. Right. Yeah. So it says on your website, pioneering new standards of interacting with First Nations. Pioneering is the perfect word for what you're doing because you don't really have a model to follow. Someone else hasn't done this before. So how are you finding that, um, the landscape that you're entering and, and your decision-making around uh, being a pioneer in this? Yeah, it's um, that's a great question. So, yeah, no one, there's no map. There's no one who's out here doing this work. So um, there's no one to tell you that you're going in the right direction. There's no one that can tell you you're doing the right thing or you're making the right decision. And so there's a few things there. Um, as a pioneer, um, you know, I think that's maybe I wouldn't use that term personally, but we put it out on the website. So fair enough. Um, as a pioneer, you can't look for um, uh, at self. Sorry. So you can't look for actualization from others. You can't get reinforcement from others. Mm -mm. It's very much an artistic thing, actually. I would draw the closest parallel to uh, the um, arts, where you're doing it not necessarily for profit. You're doing it because uh, you know it's the right thing to do. And uh, you can't get um, uh, you know, somebody's perspective who's never tried it. They're going to look at what you're doing and say, I don't see a, a way to get paid. I don't see how you're going to use that. I don't see why that's important because uh, for everybody else, things are working. Right. And so being the only person saying this isn't working <laughs> sets you up for uh, a lot of challenges there. You can see where um, kind of persistence, um, where the um, kind of that guiding star of like we're doing what's right, uh, that's hugely important. Um, but you have to learn from others as well that have gone through a struggle and gone through this uh, development of new knowledge or of new um, new markets, we'll say, for business. Right. But um, you just have to carry on and continue and always look for verification that what you're doing is is pushing in the right direction. You kind of I think if you go too far with that, you can get in a place where there's absolutely no reference. Mm -hmm. um, there's no way to look back and check to see that you're headed in the right direction. So you need to constantly be yeah, checking, verifying, qualifying yourself and making sure that you're uh, not uh, pursuing a maladaptive a solution. Right. Do you have investors in your company? Uh, no. Okay. No, it's just... It's I'm just thinking from a traditional business perspective, it would be really hard to communicate that North Star to an investor and just say, trust me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In, in, in my conversations with um, uh, folks that, you know, have had an interest in my company, uh, whether that's as a partnering, whether that's as a, uh, you call it like a co-conspirator, people who, you know, are interested in what we're doing and want to be, want to be in on that conversation. But 
um, you are more helping us from the sidelines, cheering us on. Um, they, I think they struggle with it initially. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this purpose, you know, you know, nothing I've said talks about engineering. Right. (laughs) I don't think I've mentioned, you know, uh, uh, an app or a, a technical solution once. Uh, in this whole conversation. And that's really, I think, getting to the, the, the heart of the matter, which is uh, the problems we have can be solved with the technology we have. That's not the problem. Right. Uh, the problem we have with solving the biggest issues today are uh, human innovations that we need. We, like, we need to innovate our empathy. We need to innovate our care. We need to um, push on that. Uh, barrier. That's that's our limiting factor right now is our own human uh, character. Exactly. That's a really great perspective. Um, on your website, it says also innovating the indigenous future. So I understand that better now that I've listened to you in the last just twenty minutes, even. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so one other philosophy you have is listen first, listen second, and listen third. <laughs> That is incredible. Can you explain that? Yeah, I think, you know, I was, I mentioned it earlier, uh, the inability to uh, do what what's needed um, comes from, like I said, systems, you know, that could be, um, you know, within my field of engineering, it's um, not necessarily wanting to bring in externalities to make your problems more complicated than they need to be. Um, but, you know, I think, what I always found was if we just listened to the people who are being imp- impacted by our work as engineers, we could do so much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this isn't just a principle for working with indigenous communities. I think it's um, in your whole life, really, and everything you do, especially, you know, for people who have not been trained to listen. Engineers don't get mm-hmm. active listening training <laughs> in school or in your career. Um, I think that, you know, if you're not listening to the data, if you're not listening to your clients, if you're not listening to your employees, uh, you're just, you're just setting yourself up for, for failure. It's, it's that simple. And so the other part of that is, you know, when you go into indigenous communities, um, there's been a history of them not being listened to, of their concerns not being addressed of them feeling as if uh, no one has uh, any genuine care for them. And so, you know, the message I give to our clients that want to approach indigenous communities, we're talking major project proponents that want to develop um, facilities on First Nation communities or with First Nation communities, uh, they need to be a part of the change. Uh, They need to be a part of uh, these communities feeling like they are in charge, they are in uh, the driver's seat, right? And and that we're there to listen. Um, and and so that's you know if if we have a client who comes in and says, well, you know, we just need you to go out there and and get this approval, uh, that's a big red flag. Right. Um, so you know if somebody comes in and says, tell me more about this listening, I go, ah, okay, oh, this yes. is. This is the kind of person I might want to work with. Uh, this is maybe the type of employee that I'd like to bring in. Have you turned down clients before? 
I haven't I haven't had the the benefit of turning away work yet, but uh, I certainly have uh, pushed clients to uh, change themselves, to change the 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 scope of the project, to try and bring in other aspects that you wouldn't normally bring. I'll give you an example. Um, we're working with a major project proponent who wants to build a facility, uh, an energy facility on a reserve. And uh, they came to us and uh, they were, you know, they had great purpose. They wanted to help the community. They wanted to create jobs. They wanted to um, uh, do good work for the community. And, uh, you know, they, so, so it wasn't a, a purpose or a misalignment there. But they did focus, I think, too much on the technical aspects of the work when they were looking at how they were going to uh, benefit the community. Okay. Um, so I pushed them. I said, uh, you know, this community in particular, the one you want to work with, has uh, very um, uh, poor roads. Mm -hmm. When it rains in this community, the, the school buses don't run. Ambulances can't get where they need to get to. And... Uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's uh, community shuts down. Wow. So uh, your project, yes, it's going to benefit the community, but your um, your development plan doesn't address this condition. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you've got your site, which is off uh, to, on the edge of the community. And I, what I need from you is to commit to uh, improving the, the this main thoroughfare in the community so that kids can get to school so that uh, people who are in the community get jobs at this new facility can get to work every day. Uh, and uh, it's safe uh, because we can't have this project be perceived as the only uh, worth, worthy thing in this community. Uh, the members need to feel like they're um, as valuable as this project. Right. And so this is our my engineer's way of saying, no, you are important. and we know that you have these challenges and we're going to be a part of uh, solving that. So I pushed the client. They said, yes, you know what, at this point with, you know, everything uh, being theoretical and on, it's all on paper. Mm -hmm. Yes, let's do that. Let's include that in the budget. And, and so that was a real aha moment Wow. where, you know, you can see finally the, this purpose and this why and this um, pioneering right. actually showing up in in black and white um in changing people's behaviors and and so i've i've not turned people away but i have turned people in the right direction educated them mm -hmm. that's amazing how rewarding to see a result like that come from work you're doing that's amazing are you getting any support from our government in what you're doing or are you seeing um any obstacles that you need to get around that are more government related i've seen the good intentions okay. of the government. Um, I think the thing to remember is uh, what most people imagine is the government are um, people who've been dropped into roles. Um, and especially on indigenous uh, files, uh, it's, I think in a lot of ways, unfortunately perceived as a stepping stone to other things. Um, and so, you know, where there's been some consistency, where there's been, um, I would say, the good intentions stated publicly, there's certainly been, um, I would say, the, the beginnings of a good start. 
Um, I myself have not uh, worked directly with the federal government. I approach most of our work through either project proponents or uh, directly with Indigenous communities. And, um, and of course, the government is important, but um, you know, I was very fortunate to serve in the federal government for a brief period and got to see their uh, internal um, uh, strengths and that they can make amazing things happen. Uh, but they're also challenged with, uh, unfortunately, bureaucracy and a, a risk aversion. Um, and so understanding that I've not uh, approached the government specifically looking for help, but I do uh, want to assist um, governments, federal, provincial, uh, municipal. Um, I want to help them to uh, approach these issues in an adaptive way. So that, uh, you know, we're not uh, chasing ourselves, uh, pursuing solutions that didn't work in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and worst of all, I think wasting um, time, energy, resources on um, solutions that are technical and not systemic. Because we're dealing with some very persistent issues in Indigenous communities around um, child welfare, mm -hmm. uh, poor educational outcomes. Uh, youth suicide is, has been a very tragic thing, uh, and addictions and poverty and you know goes on. Mm -hmm. So you know none of that is an engineering no. problem, right? So we we need to cast our gaze wider and look at the systems that have created that and what's the role of um, infrastructure or programs or development in correcting that. Do you have a plan in place or do you have a vision of how you're going to impact change in, in those ways? I would say um, always to uh, give what I have, um, you know, any unique knowledge I have around uh, the unique challenges around providing infrastructure to Indigenous communities. I, I'm, I give it freely. Uh, I try to meet with um, everybody I can to understand the variety of perspectives and um, the different ways that people have come around to wanting to um, improve their outcomes with uh, Indigenous communities. Uh, you know, that's as important as actually doing the work is understanding how people come to that decision and end up uh, taking on that work. So uh, it's, you know, my, my plan for enacting change uh, is, I think, uh, do that pioneering work, develop the frameworks and the, the knowledge base to enable others to come along and uh, do good things in the communities to start working on this. I'm not a, I don't consider myself a very uh, uh, brilliant person. I think as we bring others to the work though, they will bring their brilliance yeah. and they will bring their purpose and their unique uh, approaches to the work and then I think that's when we're really gonna see major change. So I think for me, the, the biggest lever I have to pull on is influencing others mm -hmm. and challenging them to try harder, to, to do more, don't be satisfied with good enough. And also s supporting them to say, you don't need to have the answers. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all trying to figure this out. If it was, if it was solved, this wouldn't be a problem. So it's important that you support people on that journey. If they've shown an interest in being a part of the solution, 
that um, you support them and you give them everything they need to keep going and to be, you know, a part of this story. Yes. And you're touching on the fact that it's it's a transgenerational problem and it's going to take transgenerational action to solve. Um, but you, what you are providing to engineers of the present and future is a model that they can that they can follow and they can say, well, remember that guy, Steve, this is what he did <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> so that's a gift. That's a really big gift that you can leave as a legacy. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so something I read in a book by Richard Powers, it said, all around us, people are doing business despite the looming end of the world. And that just made me think about the role of business in the in our society, the role of business in our world. And every business is different. Yours seems to be strikingly different though in that sense. And you've already touched on a fair bit of this already, but what do you see as your role? What's the role of business from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think at its most basic form, business is um, just trying to do something to create a profit. That's that's everybody's conventional. Yeah understanding a business. I agree. Um, you know, so the, the drive for profit. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, that approach of just exploitation, looking at efficiencies and, and even the idea of the risks you take on to what end, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the solutions you're developing, um, strictly for profit, I think, uh, frequently fall short of actually even providing the the uh, solutions that they have been set out to provide. Uh, social media, you know, it's in the news right now. It's the most divisive tool we have to break our society apart. Right. So, you know, even our the, the companies that we hold up as extremely successful and we aspire to uh, emulate, um, to me, they represent some of the most toxic forms of uh, capitalism Um, you know this kind of push to make our youth um, uh, uh, you know tech startup uh, gurus and and that we're pushing engineers and other scientists into this venture capitalist um, innovation space uh, without equipping them with the tools to say well what are you doing what why are you doing that Mm -hmm. right so for I think for uh, my business and what I'm trying to do with it, it's to, I think, take a left turn where everyone's going right mm-hmm. and to kind of try and help bring people over to this side <laughs> to come <laughs> along with me and, and, and um, to challenge themselves, challenge your clients, challenge the world to do better. Like it's, it's, not, it's not enough to say, well, this is going to be tough and no one's going to buy it and what is it going to do? And um, don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get there. You know, like this is what needs to be done. This is what this is what people don't know they need. Right. Is this type of work, this type of service, products, you know, this type of entrepreneurship and capitalism. Um, I think it gets mislabeled as social venture or um, conscious capitalism. Um, I think it's just getting to the next uh, stage of our endeavors as human beings, you know, getting out of this. Uh, chasing our tail capitalist model of, you know, there's never enough. Um, It's actually seeing conditions and systems improve uh, for, you know, everything around us. Yeah. I remember being a teenager 
and being uh, told the model of what my future was going to look like. And of course, it involved going to school, getting a job, making money, spending money, and then dying. <laughs> I was not okay with that. I remember bursting into tears the night my father explained that to me. And I just said, what a purposeless existence. And it just did not jive with me at all as, as a kid. And yeah. Unfortunately, you, you get kind of pushed into that realm as you become an adult. And now even running my own company, like one of our corporate credos is you can't eat money. And that is supposed to keep us in check with the idea that there's a lot more to running a business than just money. Um, but that being said, I feel the pressure daily of not having enough money and not being able to feed my employees. And it's it's really hard. It's, like, uh, what's yeah. your experience with that? Yeah, that it's it's a um, it's a balancing act for sure. You're walking an edge. Yeah. Um, again, you know, you put yourself out on that edge and nine nine people out of ten are going to tell you get away from that edge. <laughs> you know, come back to the real world and make a profit. Um, but that's not good enough. Mm -mm. I think, you know, you, you speak to your, your gut reaction as a, as a child or in your youth. I think those are unfiltered uh, perspectives. Those are uh, perspectives untainted by, um, or unjaundiced uh, perspectives, you know, that haven't been tainted by life experience and frustration and, um, you know, this kind of messaging around don't make life harder than it needs to be. Yeah. Don't, you know, uh, you, that, that want to provide for others being a huge, uh, pressure. Right. I think Your is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I talked about bringing others into the work, uh, bringing others to bring their talents to it. Um, there's so much there, um, you know, in any normal business, it's just giving them a, uh, stable environment and, and supporting them through a lot of conventional experiences. You know, you can find a hundred Google articles on employee engagement mm. and various listicles, but this work, this meaningful work, there's no, I think there's no map out there for it. Definitely not. And so we're creating that understanding first, and then we will have a map for how to get there. And so part of that map includes the course correction, persistence, um, to just keep going. You, you will fail. You will have major stumbles along the way, but that's because you're walking in the dark. No one has turned on the lights ahead of you and, and set up the guide ropes and the other, you know, infrastructure to, to walk you along. So, um, I would say that's part of this, uh, work as well is, uh, like I said, helping bring others over to the side and supporting them in in these new struggles. Um, we call it, uh, you know, this emotional uh, baggage that you're going to pick up on the way of doing this kind of work. Yes, that is really amazing. What would you say to the Steve of the past today? Uh, yeah, uh, I think if I'm looking at past Steve, I think there's been so much learning. Even if I could talk to myself two years ago when I started my business, um, I'd have, you know, I'd, I'd back up the dump truck with everything I've learned <laughs> and all the, all the, you know, good, bad, and ugly of the last couple of years. I think, you know, if I went further back and I, I think who I, the person I'd love to talk to is 
Steve that was coming out of high school from a small town, going into the big city, uh, coming to Calgary, which, you know, for, <laughs> for me is a big city, yeah. still is. Yeah. Um, and saying, don't be afraid of uh, outgrowing your past. Don't be afraid of, you know, what people are going to say, think, or, or otherwise do to say, well, he's not who he was. That's the whole point of life is, you know, growth. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean growth in the sake, in, in the kind of common language of like, well, you need to be a better person to make more money to do, get the bigger house, do this, that, that. I'm saying like growth as in your own perspective, uh, people travel, people get life experience it's natural to change. Mm-hmm. And so I would tell myself, embrace that, find out what it is that's changing. Why is that something that you didn't know before? Mm-hmm. Take a look at that and, and embrace it. Cause I think I've been limited in the past by my feeling like I've left friends behind or I've left uh, colleagues behind. It's, I would tell myself that's a natural thing. Very cool. Uh, what do you do to give yourself some downtime? Where do you feel peace and freedom and quiet oh, in your life? Definitely at home with my kids. Okay. Um, I have a wonderful family. Um, you know, I, I make a point of coming home for dinner every night so that I can be there. And, you know, unfortunately I do carry work home with me, but um, it's always better when my kids are there. Mm-hmm. It's always the volume gets turned down on, you know, these, these business challenges, uh, everything comes into focus when they're around mm-hmm. on what matters. And so I would say, you know, the first and always most important one is being around my family mm-hmm. to, to help take the load, to help, yeah, refresh your mind and, and kind of come back to it the next day and say, this is why I'm here. Right. Um, but also, you know, I do enjoy, uh, you know, getting out on my motorcycle oh. and turning, turning, <laughs> you know, I don't turn my mind off, but I do turn off the kind of like constant chatter right. of, you know, oh, I need to get this done. I need to get that done. This is, you know, the next big thing, you know, it all kind of goes away. Yeah. You have to be in the moment on a motorcycle. Yes. I, I've heard, I don't yes. drive one, but <laughs> I would say that's the case. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Oh, that's really cool. So. Is there anything else that I haven't touched on that you'd like to say to? Yeah. I mean, I think if, if somebody's listening to this, they probably have an interest in, um, business Mm -hmm. innovation Mm -hmm. and, um, understanding people's stories. You know, I would say, uh, one thing I, the one message I I like to kind of, you know, leave whether it's obvious or subtle, is um, that, you know, we need to think of people. We need to think in our ventures and our endeavors. We need to think about the, the people who we can't hear and how can we hear them? How can we bring them into our, um, into our space? Um, I think that's been my uh, biggest learning is, you know, in all ways, every, you know, right from the conception of the company, it was about these communities are not being heard. Right. Um, 
you know, again, to that point about listening, I think we, we fail because we, we don't listen mm -hmm. to hit the lessons of history, to, um, wisdom of elders or the wisdom of our youth. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, there's something there where if you listen hard enough, you listen long enough, you'll understand the other person across the table. And 99% of the time you're going to say, you know what? I agree with you. That's if I was, cool. if I was in your shoes, if I was in your place, mm -hmm. I would do exactly what you've been doing. And by that, by that line of thought, you can see yourself in, uh, the, you know, the, the person who's living in poverty, mm -hmm. the person who has trouble with addictions, the person who has mental health struggles. And you can see that your, um, you can help them. You have something valuable there because you do have something in common. So I think my, you know, brief, you know, kind of summary of my own life is kind of two, two basic things. Listen, you know, and I've had the opportunity to see that I need to listen more. And so I've been listening and then, um, try hard, try harder, you know, like it's just, it's no excuse to say it's going to be difficult. That's, that's where we at. That's where we're at in this, uh, history and this human story yes. is, um, the, the big solutions, the big, um, things are, it's actually just a, it's a, a summing of all the small things that we do. Um, you know, the overnight success story of somebody who's been in business for 10 years. That's, that's the, <laughs> that's the slow accumulation yes. of many, many things. And so that's hard effort and right. persistence. And so, um, to me, those are the secrets of any success I've had. Wonderful. That is a perfect place to end this. And I really hope that people out there listening to this can see the wisdom and the, and the strength in everything that you've just said. I, I feel smarter and stronger just having sat with you for the past hour. <laughs> so I appreciate that. That's Thank high praise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Steve. We really appreciate this, and uh, I look forward to following your pioneering story as you keep moving forward through this landscape. Oh, thank you. Thanks, and I'll, I'll be following you as well, Amanda. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-source, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was recorded at Work Nicer Roxbury. Born out of the foundational belief in community, Work Nicer has since grown to Alberta's largest co-working community with outposts in Calgary and Edmonton. Work nicer because no one succeeds alone. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.